Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not there is good evidence for God and we are starting right now. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for another epic debate, or in this case, discussion, as we are thrilled to welcome our guests, Matt Dillahunty and Dr. Kenny Rhodes. And before we go further, though, I do want to mention, folks, I am so appreciative. You guys, that crazy intro video was made from Matterform, who is a supporter of neutral platforms for internet discourse. If you're interested in learning how he makes these graphics, such as the intro you just saw for this video, the behind the scenes is coming soon. And so I encourage you, check out his link in the description as we're super thankful for his help. And with that, we know, folks, that you want to hear the debate, so we're going to give brief introductions and get right into it. So in particular, starting with Matt Dillahunty, we're thrilled to have you back. Matt, thanks for being with us. Thank Matt you. Dillahunty is an atheist activist and speaker and juggernaut of a debater, if I may say so, who is the current president of the atheist community of Austin. Oh, that's... Well, I looked at the I'm Wiki- not, but it, I'm still on the board. It doesn't matter. I'm just well, not president now. I'll update the Wikipedia page myself right after this. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for clarifying that, Matt. And then Dr. Kenny Rhodes, thrilled to have you as well. Dr. Rhodes holds an MDiv and a PhD in theology and specializes in the doctrine and existence of God, textual criticism, and the metaphysics of Thomas Aquinas. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks so much, Dr. Rhodes, for being with us as well. Pleasure. Absolutely. So with that, folks, we're going to jump right into it. Dr. Rhodes is going to have his opening statement. These are going to be just 12-minute flexible openings from each side, and then we're going right into open dialogue, followed by Q&A. So with that, thank you very much, Dr. Rhodes. The floor is all yours. Yeah, my name is Kenny Rhodes. I've been a science teacher for 15. I'm sorry, wrong script. Uh, let me let me back up. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's uh, just a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to uh, uh, discuss this issue with Matt. Of course, he's uh, infamous uh, around uh, the YouTubes. And so it is quite an honor to uh, engage with him on this topic. Uh, before I begin, I simply want to give a shout out to a good friend of mine, Gordon Kennedy, who is actually a huge Matt Dillahunty fan. And while uh, I do have his sympathies, uh, he's rooting for Matt today. So, (laughs) hey, Gordon. (laughs) Well, uh, I simply want to uh, start off by uh, saying that I know that Matt... uh, is an empiricist in a certain sense, uh, thinks that we should uh, have empirical evidence for all the things that we believe. I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. Uh, And I want to approach uh, this issue uh, in a a similar fashion in the sense that metaphysics is necessarily the first uh, science or the first principles by which we can even understand the scientific method And so when Aristotle had defined what metaphysics was all about, he said that it's a science which investigates being as being or being qua being. And 
it is looking at the nature of reality as a whole. When we look at nature as a reality as a whole, we can deduce some things about the nature of reality. And then by way of what is called remotion, simply walk back from the effect to the cause. And so the special sciences are those things that uh, cut off a part of being and then examine a part of being and the attributes or properties of a part of being. And we have, for example, math, the mathematic sciences, they will deal with uh, quantity. The uh, physical science, of course, is, of course, will deal with motion and the biological sciences will deal with life. And uh, I want to quote Etne um, Gisson at this moment. And he says that to cut off a piece of being and to investigate the attributes of this part of being is a perfectly legitimate undertaking. But to invest any conceivable part of being with the attributes of being itself and to investigate the attributes of the whole from a, the point of view of any one of its parts is to undertake a task whose very notion involves contradiction. And he goes on to mention the fact that today or within his own day, the error of the scientists was to simply try to answer the bigger questions by looking at the part or trying to deduce from the issues of mechanism that of agency. And in as far as I can do all the investigation I want about the Model T, it is not a question that is going to answer the issue of agency. And he goes on and speaks about the fact that skepticism is actually a metaphysical disease. I don't mean to be uh, rude to Matt in any way uh, by suggesting that, but again, you cannot answer the issue of God or answer the issue of the bigger picture of reality by virtue of cutting off a part of what is and then examining that and think that you can answer questions concerning the whole. When we examine reality, we see that reality is necessarily composite. We have parts. Human beings have parts. We have parts such as substance and accidents, matter form, things of that sort. When we look at reality or being as being or the nature of what it is to be an existent being, we know that we are composite. And that necessarily, as Plato says, uh, it takes us back to the one or unity necessarily grounds multiplicity. And by way of deduction, by way of abduction, we can look at the nature of reality and walk that back and say it must be grounded in that which is one, that which is unity, and that which can ground all multiplicity. As a matter of fact, any existential reality necessarily must be grounded in existential absoluteness, and that is by definition what we call God. I want to answer a question that I've heard Matt uh, ask many, many times. Which God are you uh, debating today? And I want to help him clear up this issue because when Muslims, Jews, Christians, and even the ancient Greeks when we speak of monotheism, 
we are speaking of the God who is, and, and we're making a distinction ontologically speaking. Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and the ancient Greek philosophers, we, all, we are all referring to the only possible monotheistic being who is really outside of the category of being itself. He necessarily is existence himself. We speak of God as simple, which simply means that his essence, what it means for him to be, is identical to existence, and existence is identical to his essence. When we define things, we define them according to essences, and so I'm going to be necessarily bringing in, and I uh, can defend it as well, that things have essences, things have natures, and what a thing is and that a thing is are distinct, and that is the greatest composition that we find in reality what a thing is, and that a thing is. We can know what a thing is regardless of whether or not we know it exists. Kant, as a matter of fact, said that uh, existence is not a predicate, uh, and that's actually the problem with Anselm's ontological argument. Uh, it treats existence as if it was a predicate, but existence is actually that which causes essences to exist. We might say that uh, it put it in Thomistic terms, it is the actus ascendi composed with an essence that brings something into existence. And I can know things simply by looking at what they are or contemplating what they are, and I can define a unicorn, which there's nothing logically irrational about a unicorn existing, but what's wrong? That essence of unicorn has not been composed with an act of existence, therefore it doesn't exist. Dinosaurs, they, I, I wanted to uh, do a poking joke at my young earth creationist friends, but I won't. Uh, dinosaurs, they did exist, but they existed quite a long time ago, uh, but they no longer exist. I can still define them according to the essence of what a dinosaur is. And to cite Boethius, he says, that which is and what a thing is are distinct, not separated, but distinct. He said, essay and id quad est are distinct. So that is uh, the direction I'm going tonight. I'm sure we'll have an interesting discussion. I uh, just want to uh, conclude my opening statement with this. Necessarily, and I'm not uh, defining God into existence, but what I'm saying is, is when we look at the fact that all that is is composed of what it is and that it is, we necessarily can walk backward to the one who is essence and existence, and it is identical with one another. And logically, you must have that. You have to have one that grounds all existence to give rise to all the multiplicity that we see in reality. And I'll uh, conclude at that moment. I don't know how long I went, but. Got four minutes me. left if you want them, but. That's all right. You, want them, no. you got That's it, no problem. Right. Works. And want to let you know, folks, we are thrilled to let you know for the first time about this juicy upcoming debate, Islam on Trial. Apostate Prophet will be here with a surprise guest next month. You don't want to miss it, folks. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you can catch up, you can say catch more juicy debates coming up. And with that, thanks so much for being with us again. Matt, the floor is all yours.
Awesome. I will try to take a, uh, a similar amount of time uh, so that nobody says anything about unfair. First of all, thank you everybody for having me back. And uh, my apologies for the delay. Uh, I unfortunately got a really, like they listed it as atypical pneumonia. And I was over it inside of like 36 hours, but they were, it was something to do with my heart that they were worried about. And then they ran a whole bunch of EKGs and it turns out my heart's just fine. It was a bad reading or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wound up recovering from the pneumonia. So thanks everybody for your patience. Um, I'm always glad when, when we get to actually define terms a little bit and there I've hosted the atheist experience for 16 years, over 500 episodes. I just found out last week. And quite often, you'll have someone who says that they can't present argue, uh, evidence for the existence of a God. Uh, that, In fact, some of them argue that God would not give evidence, because if God gave evidence, that would somehow violate your free will, or that's a problem. And so I'm thrilled that today we're going to at least hear um, what God Guinea's talking about, what God... Um, what the good reasons are for that and and how and why he thinks reasons are good. I, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody that we're probably not going to disagree on what counts as good reasons. Uh, not the least of which is that if you begin, and I wasn't offended at all, if somebody says that skepticism is a metaphysical disease, it doesn't surprise me that someone would view skepticism as a metaphysical disease if they're advocating for positions that don't rise to the level of meeting the rigorous standards of skepticism. It's like saying, oh, well, that's scientism. You know, you're only willing to accept whatever science is. Well, that's a, a, a fine a challenge to scientism from the people who have ideas that don't rise to the level of science. All skepticism is, is I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible, and I'd like to use the mechanisms available to do that, which includes scientific inquiry and good standards of evidence. We've solved this problem of what counts as good evidence in courtrooms and in science, and I'll touch on that just a little bit later. Um, I had a, a receipt sitting here from a dry cleaner. I stopped off and dropped off 10 shirts today uh, to be dry cleaned because evidently we're getting out from underneath the uh, Backstreet Boys reunion tour or whatever we're supposed to call it so that nothing gets demonetized. But if I were to show you the receipt, would I then, if I were to then say, do you have a good reason to believe that I own shirts? Do you have a good reason to believe that I dropped them off at the cleaner? Do you have a good reason to believe they'll be back on Tuesday? What are the other candidate explanations for this receipt that I have? Well, the truth is, all of us, I would hope, would say, of course, I have good reason to believe that you have shirts and you dropped them off and they'll be ready on Tuesday. That's what the receipt says. And we we have good reason to believe that, despite the fact that all of us know I could fake a receipt. Like, you you don't know. I, you, let me put Jack Brown cleaners on the top of something, print it off on the computer. It's not like it's, it's you know, as difficult as trying to counterfeit money. I could make a receipt. And yet, still, even knowing that it could be fake, we're still reasonably assured that I probably dropped laundry off today. Uh, if for no other reason, then it would seem absurd to try to fake a receipt, but we could have done it. Maybe I did it just to make a point in the debate. How can we investigate it? Well, in fact, we can. We can investigate, and even though we know some things are fake, we can figure out whether or not this one is. We can go in and talk to the cleaners. We can check video recordings. We can check to make sure that the numbers match up and that they've got the clothing and all this other stuff. What we're trying to do is figure out, do I have a good reason to believe something. That's that's the whole of life. Every time somebody comes up and gives it says a claim to you, you know, hey, I just got a new car yesterday. Do you do you sit there and go, oh, hang on, please provide evidence that you got a new car yesterday? Well, at most you're probably gonna say, hell, show me the car. 
And, well, it's not here right now. They're, they're doing some detailing on it. Does that mean you stop believing them? No. So it's not just about, hey, I heard something and oh, no, no, I won't believe anything. A lot of people confuse skepticism with cynicism. Cynicism is the I won't believe anything. And skepticism is I will believe those things that are warranted. And if you look at fallacies, one of the most common ones is to say, what other explanation is there? Isn't it either just chance or God? And somebody asked prior to this, why won't atheists just admit that they believe it's all chance? Well, in some cases, I believe chance is a perfectly acceptable explanation. In other cases, I don't think that chance is in fact a reasonable explanation because when I look at the universe, it doesn't operate by chance. It operates according to the laws and rules of physics and chemistry. It's not chance. Is it chance that something happened? Perhaps, but the right answer when somebody says, why is there something rather than nothing for me is I don't know. And if you think that's a dishonest answer, if it's incredibly frustrating for you that there are people who are willing to admit that they don't know, um, I would just ask you, I'm far more frustrated with the people who claim that they do know when they definitely don't. And there are people running around advocating for every God under the sun and some beyond it um, without knowing it. Now, a lot of you probably heard this tired old claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And in what that claim initially meant, it's true, but it's not quite true. The truth is all claims require uh, pretty much the same evidence before they're reasonable, before it's reasonable to accept them. The difference is that some claims from the instant they are made already benefit from all sorts of evidence and baggage out there. If you say, hey, I just dropped my clothes off at the laundry. Well, we have mountains of evidence that there are places where you can drop off the clothes and all the, all the little elements are already there. If you say instead, hey, last night I saw a ghost. Well, all we've got so far is that we know people report seeing things that they call ghosts, but what evidence do we have that you saw a ghost? So what do we mean when we're talking about trying to collect evidence to determine whether or not something's reasonable, because I am someone who believes that there needs to be good evidence. And I don't think that you can just start with some sort of description and work back and kind of argue that, oh, therefore there must be some sort of necessary being. Uh, because somewhere along the lines, somebody injected things like being and necessary and didn't always justify them. So if you have a position that's not falsifiable, as if there's no way to show it's wrong, that's a problem within testability. That is a problem within science, within courtrooms, within any number of, of issues where we're going to be evaluating evidence. Well, what do we mean when we say evidence? I tend to refer to it as, as the collection of facts associated with a situation or proposition or question, which must be evaluated and accounted for in determining whether an explanation is true. But good evidence is not merely an opinion. You can be of the opinion that flipping a coin is good evidence. You'd be wrong. It'd be a good way to make a decision. It might be better than, I don't know, rolling a dice um, because now you're down to two, but it doesn't mean it's a good decision. And similarly, it's not like we should all vote on whether or not the earth is flat or whether or not a God exists or whether or not dinosaurs used to exist. Some claims by virtue of what we already know come with a mountain of evidence right off the bat, such that while you could be wrong, because you can always be wrong, it'd be unreasonable to strongly doubt the claim at its face. And so good evidence is that which can be replicated, that is distinct, that leads to one explanation and not multiple explanations with similar support. That is the good evidence. That is better than anecdotal evidence, testimonial evidence. Here's what I think I experienced. Is it true that alien 
that an, an alien abduction happened. After all, there's nothing necessarily supernatural there. There's nothing that is necessarily going to violate the laws of physics. We know that, we, I mean, we've traveled to the moon, assuming you're, you know, not, not a conspiracy theorist who's denying that as well. It's not outside the realm of possibility that perhaps if there was life elsewhere in the galaxy, maybe it gets here. I don't think it's been here yet. I don't see enough evidence for it. But it's not like it's magic. And it's not like it's identical to a ghost story. There are tons of books, stories, and testimonies about ghosts, gods, goblins, and aliens. What has actually been confirmed? Because if we have some sort of experience and we are trying to say, here's the best explanation for why we had this experience or why I felt this, we need to make a list of candidate explanations. And you don't get to include something in a candidate explanation until there's evidence for it, until there's good reason to think that that's the case. And so if you say, hey, I saw, you know, this dot moving in the sky last night, what are the candidate explanations? Well, we know that there are satellites and planes. Those are candidate explanations. Something else flying, we will perhaps say unidentified or an unknown uh, object that's moving around. But do we get to say, oh, one of the candidate explanations is that there's, oh, Sorry, I was trying to stay on the nine minutes. Um, one of the candidate explanations doesn't instantly become there's an alien spaceship up there. I mean, we can propose that, but until we have good reason to consider it amongst the candidate explanations, it would be a mistake to include it. You would need some extra evidence to show why this should be counted amongst the candidate explanations. Try walking into a courtroom and suggesting that God told you to break the speed limit or that you, he told you to bomb a clinic. The courts won't accept that, and they shouldn't, and there's good reasons why they, they shouldn't. Similarly, if you walk into a science um, test or a process and you say, oh, no, 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 actually, that's done by angels. Well, that doesn't get to be included in science. Doesn't mean it's not true, but it doesn't get to be included because we don't yet have good reason to think that it should be included. And then we have the whole thing, you know, I, I realize that, that Dr. Rhodes addressed this, so you know, which God, who's God, and and in this context where you're talking about essence, essentially trying to describe that they're all the same. But if there is, in fact, good reason to believe there's a God, then that means think of other things that we have good reason to believe. Do you have good reason to believe that cars exist, that people buy cars, that people buy new cars, that people buy used cars? All of those things I have good reason for. Do you have reason to believe that I have family, um, that I have people who care about me? Uh, maybe I have a girlfriend and you don't know her and she lives in another state and I never have to produce her. But if you suspect that there's something going on, if in fact there was good evidence for a God, that means that it's now just a matter of fact. It is a, a de facto reasoned position that, yeah, this is just true. Just like letting go of a pen, it you know falls down in this particular space. Obviously, it's not going to happen elsewhere. And so if that's the case, where's God? Because if there's good reason to believe that there's a God, then what could possibly be the good reason to prevent God from showing up right here, right now, and saying, I don't know what's wrong with Matt. I don't know what's wrong with these atheists. I don't know what's wrong with the people in the world. I have already provided good evidence, but here I am. Let's settle it so that we can get on about the business of what I would like you to do and living and enjoy your life. There's no reason for God to keep playing this game of hide and seek if, in fact, there's good evidence for him being around. I don't know what the answer is. I know it frustrates people every time I say I don't know. But if we're not seeing this obvious thing, 
this thing, which I don't know if, I don't know, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know if Dr. Rhodes thinks this is obvious or if it's just reasonable. But if in fact it's reasonable to any intelligent person and there's sufficient evidence to warrant this, why wouldn't God just show up and say, yep, you guys got the right answer. I don't know why you keep debating it. Uh, let's get on with life. You got it. Thank you very much, Matt, for that opening statement. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. Thanks for being with us. And with that, thanks, Matt and Kenny, for being with us. The floor is all yours for that open dialogue. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just ready to have a good discussion at this point. Cool. Um, so I hope Matt's, uh, also, uh, into that. Sounds like he is. I'm all in. All right. Um, I, d I just want to uh, make a, a response to one of the things, uh, that you just said mm -hmm. when it comes to existence itself, as Shakespeare quipped to be or not to be, that is the question. And this is an issue that some people grasp the sublimity of it some others don't and and there's no rhyme or reason as to why but i often ponder my existence and the miracle quote unquote that that is that existence is, itself screams for an explanation so when i am talking about the existence of god i i am looking at it in the realm of mathematical proof, so to speak. Because when we just look at reality, we know that the one who brought it into existence is necessarily not confined by its parameters. Theology speaks God as being transcendent and also imminent. So to look for God by the scientific method is to commit a category mistake. It, God is not going to be able to uh, be put in the scientific lab or put in a beaker and then try to determine what he is and what he's like. He is the very ground of existence itself. And, I, and if I could illustrate it like this, uh, conceptually, uh, conceptually, we uh, can think of existence. There is no limit to what can be. And let's consider existence a vast, infinite ocean that can be participated in infinitely. If something is wet, we know that it participated in that which is wet by nature, which is water. So if I look out and I see that there are things that share the same kind of existence that I have, and when I say existence, I mean a rock to uh, trees to myself and other people. There necessarily must be a ground for that existence, that all that I see participates, so to speak, in this wetness or in existence itself. And existence is a qualitative uh, infinite. We don't call it a, a, a quantitative, but a, a qualitative infinite. It can be participated in, so to speak, infinitely. Whiteness can be participated in by uh, any number of things. 
And so it's on that level that I'm arguing for the existence of God and, and saying that there's absolute logical necessity for one to ground all that is, that existential absoluteness must ground all becoming. Absolute being must ground any becoming, anything uh, of that uh, sort that we see exists. We know that existence, there's no uh, existential law of inertia. Uh, things come into existence, what uh, the scholastics call generation and corruption. And so uh, when we see things coming to be and passing away, we know that to be uh, nothing in this created order has existence in and of itself. And so we look to one who has those uh, attributes and the Greeks, the Muslims, the Christians, the Jews, they all came to the same conclusion uh, concerning classical theism, that there must be this one who grounds all reality. And I am going to, uh, probably not tonight, but I, I do believe that I can take the ontological God that Muslims, Jews, and Christians, and the Greeks believed in come into the world of theology, but on the basis of the one must ground all multiplicity or unity necessarily is first and grounds multiplicity, that gives me some natural evidence for the Trinitarian God, that God, the nature of God himself, he must be this perfect unity, but also diversity within his nature. And that gives reason for what we see in reality, answering that ancient problem of the one and the many. And so that's how I would argue for the Christian God and say that there's a distinction between ontology and theology. We're all talking about the same monotheistic God, but when we switch to the world of theology, that's when these distinctions necessarily take place. Okay. I know I, I, I didn't anticipate saying so much there, so I apologize. No, I got pretty good notes. And, and I think, so, I mean, you and I already know we, we have some basic differences about our epistemology as, as do the other people sure. that are out there, but also, there's differences in language. And, and, and what, I'm sorry, you roboted there. I, I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. Uh, there's also differences in language in, right. in how we not only phrase things, but in what questions we're talking about. And I took pretty decent notes right here because you, you, we, I'll begin with where you started existence screams for an explanation. And I, to me, and, and I want to make sure I'm understanding you, I, I would agree with that, provided we're speaking metaphorically that. When we look out at, at all that is, it would be very nice and we would be we would be very comforted if we had an explanation for how and why all that is is all that is. Um, but it's not when, when we look at that, you, you use the word miracle, and I'm fine with miracle in a colloquial sense along that line. Oh, this is incredibly extraordinary. We don't know. But then you followed it up by saying, we know the one who brought it into existence. Well, and you, you follow that up by saying, to begin looking for God. The difference here is that I'm not looking for God, and I think that's a mistake. I'm looking for whatever the explanation for existence is. And if the explanation for existence turns out to be a God, I'm fine with that. The problem is that if you set your sights to, hey, we're going to find this God. Oh, this is what the ancient Greeks thought. This is what these people thought. This is what these people thought. Um, then you talked about for, you know, if something is wet, we know it's come into uh, the vicinity or interaction with a, a wet property, water. 
And you tried to start an analogy to extend that to be something about existence to say it requires an, a grounding. I don't see the evidence that any sort of thing that would qualify as a grounding for existence is necessarily an agent. I don't understand why the physical and chemical laws, uh, the, the physical facts about the universe, that the only things that we can actually investigate, we can't go back beyond the planet time, we can't go outside of this. It seems to me that this, this field of classical theism, which you're going to encompass with all the various gods and then you get to the Trinity. But how do you know that you're not just seeing what you want to see? Because I don't see the evidence either for a Trinity, for a God, for a being, for a required grounding in, a, in the sense of any sort of agent. All that we have and all that we see is the world. And it seems that when you say there must be an absolute being, where's the evidence of that? Are you asking for empirical evidence for that? I, I, I would go with anything. I would love for there to be empirical evidence to show for any of this. But if, if you're just looking at it saying, oh, we're inferring this from the fact that there's something, there must have been something that started it. I, I find that to not be uh, a reasonable course of action. Because while we, while we would have to say, there needs to be some explanation. Like if, if there's a, if there's a, a bunch of burnt wood out in, in the backyard. You and I would agree there, need, there is some explanation. There is something, some series of events that led to what we found. And if someone were to say, oh, this occurred because of something extra dimensional, something that we can't interact with, something that we can't get physical evidence from, I would think we would probably both reject that. Why is it that we don't both reject it when we get to the big question, something that we cannot actually investigate uh, beyond living in our heads. Well, let, let's uh, push your analogy um, to, uh, to the issue of God. If I see that things exist and they don't have existence in and of themselves, let's call that burnt wood. In the same way that you and I can look at that burnt wood and say, it must have been heat. There's no other rational explanations for it. In the same way, we can look and see existence being shared by the multiplicity of beings and say, there must be existence itself that has, you know, burnt itself into these existent beings to kind of, uh, push your analogy so Except it, not how it necessarily implies oh yes it's, we're ba we're basing on the laws of logic no, no no that's not how it works the reason we know that burnt wood is burnt wood is because we have evidence of wood burning we've seen it before during and after we have mountains of actual empirical evidence and that's what makes our conclusion that the best explanation is that this wood burnt through some natural means the, that, the thing that makes that the best explanation, the reason we have good reason to believe that is because we have actual evidence for it. You can't argue by analogy that there is something that is existence or something that is essence and therefore requires a grounding. Where's the evidence for essence? Because if essence, as you, as you said in your opening, if there's an essence of a unicorn and a unicorn doesn't exist and an essence of a dinosaur and a dinosaur doesn't exist now and an essence of me and I still exist, then you're basically saying essence is 
not in any way tied to facts about reality because a unicorn okay. isn't a fact of reality. Okay, let, let me try to explain myself better because I, I, I may not have explained this uh, the best way. When we look at reality, we see that what a thing is and that it is are distinct. I got that. Okay, so when I see that an essence has been co-joined with the act of existing and now is, I know that there must be someone who put that together or something, I'll just say that for, for the sake of what we're talking about, must have put that together. For there to be composed things in the world, there must be one that composed it. So when I, to use that analogy, if I see burnt wood, you're saying that wood is the evidence. Well, I'm looking at you and I'm saying you are the evidence because you don't have existence in and of yourself, that you are the evidence that your existence is participated in in the same way that that wood, when it was hot, participated in the heat of the fire. That's my argument. Well, so on the one hand, um, you've constructed a circular argument because when you say there must have been someone who... Yeah, that's why I said something in order to clarify that or to get it out of the realm of... Sure, but if we just go back... Rather than digging in on the circular, rather we, if we just go back to the difference between what is and that is, uh, let's see if we can okay. sort that out. Um, what is um, me? I, I am a collection of chemicals uh, in a particular pattern, in a particular location, at a particular time. Uh, if, if we got really reductivist about it, we could go down to atoms and stuff like that. But that is is it's still a function of that because let's say the difference between me and a unicorn is that I am here in some place in time and a unicorn is not here at this place in time as far as we know. And so now then the only difference between an extant thing and a non-extant thing is whether or not it occupies a space in time as long as we're long talking about you know things that exist in in a material realm we set aside abstracts like does two exist um if if we're going to talk about two let's at least you know hold up a a door door number for whatever because we're talking about this thing and so it seems that that when we push back on this the response from those people who are advocating for god is that well god doesn't exist in the material realm so it's a mistake for you to try to to, to, to put him in a box like that. And the question then is, I don't know what it means to say doesn't exist in the material world, because that's true for a unicorn as well. Right. So if you were to, let's, let's look at the uh, example of a human, human being. Would you say that human beings are just their parts, chemistry? Uh, are you a reductionist? Are they just their parts? Well, when we're talking about the physical thing, yeah. I don't see anything that's more than the physical things. And and all we're seeing is physical things in action and patterns in action. Do you you believe that there is such a thing as a human nature? The essence of being a human, which which would be what we call a secondary uh, substance, and then the primary substance is the individual substance. 
No, what, what, what I think we're talking about with human nature, which I have no problem with these things, you know, is colloquialism. So even the human spirit, oh, the human spirit of adventure. Well, there's not a spirit, there's not a spirit of adventure, and there's no human nature. All we're doing is taking and packaging and describing, here's what human beings do. But that- And what makes you you? What makes you you? But what they do doesn't exist. They exist, their actions exist, but th- this, this is an abstraction. This is us describing it like we would describe two. Like, how many fingers am I holding up? Two. Well, that's not two. This, this is a representation in the physical world. So if we're going to describe this accurately, we would describe Matt as, you know, extended uh, digits on a finger in order to convey a concept of a quantity. And so we can look at that and say, ah, oh, what's Matt doing? Well, he's describing two. But that is the abstraction. That doesn't exist as a thing. Okay, uh, we know scientifically that humans, I think, go through uh, an, a, an entire change-up of uh, matter uh, every seven years or something yep. like that. So what, what makes you you when all your parts have been changed out? Yeah, this is the, the ship of Theseus. I don't want yeah, yeah, to get bogged down too much in this, but, you know, is there a form there, you know? No, I'm saying I don't want to because I find it very interesting and... Oh, I, I love it, but we would bore the heck out of a number of people here if, if <laughs> exactly. it started in on it. Uh, and so for me, the solution to the problem of Theseus is that the definition of what the ship is changes as each thing changes in much the same way that it, it is an ephemeral. At this instant, this is the definition of me. If I lop off a finger, the instant that finger is lopped off, the definition of Matt becomes Matt minus this particular finger. And if the finger comes back on, if I get a tattoo, then the definition of me changed when that tattoo to include that. And so that's the thing. I don't want to get into the transporter problem, but quite possibly the solution to ship of Theseus, the, the transporter problem, all of this is to address continuity because time is just change. And you're trying to look back at this point in time and say, why isn't it still this? And the answer is because it's not. Now it's this. It's moving. The definition of me is moving with me in time. So what? So you you would define a human being as being different at every moment of their existence, uh, much like uh, Heraclitus would say, everything is flux, everything is becoming. You never step in the same river twice. Therefore, everything's being and or everything's becoming and nothing is actual being. Is there something that unifies a human being that makes a human a human? I think what you pointed out to me is just that which is an accidental aspect of what a human being is. We might say that, uh, you know, matter uh, or uh, bones, uh, meat, uh, those are in a general sense what a human being is when we define a human being, a rational animal that uh, is composed of matter. Uh, but, but when we describe, say, a finger or something, that, that's an, an accidental aspect of what a human being is. Uh, your particular signet matter that's been instantiated. So when, when we look at what a human is, see, if what you're saying is true, then that means somebody who uh, goes to prison for committing a crime because they're changing uh, moment by moment, you've got somebody who's paying the price for a crime that this person now, you know, 10 minutes later even, uh, is a different person. So there's, there has to be some <laughs> continuity to what a human is. 
So just because are you suggesting that that kind of a radical change or or are you um, well, well kind of I mean because you can define things at whatever scope you want. We can define it at this it's a standpoint of of humans. We can stand at the, you know narrow it down based on subqualities down to this. But the thing you're talking about, for example, the, the somebody who's in prison who's now a different person. The question is, is the person ten minutes later substantively different? with respect to the thing that they're going, that they're incarcerated for. If in fact, if, if, so when. um, And I would say, no, would you agree? Well, it depends. I I think it's on a case by case basis. For example, let's say that someone went out and it shot a whole bunch of people. And it turns out that the reason they did it was because they had a brain tumor that was pressing on their amygdala and we arrest them. We try them, we put them in prison and then we, the study, we find the brain tumor, and then we go in, we have surgery, we completely remove the brain tumor, and now, while that is the same agent, because mm-hmm. that's the, the, the level of, of, of uh, discretion that we apply here, is that person still likely to cause or enact or take that action ever again? And I would say that if the evidence shows no, why are you keeping them in jail? And how long should you keep them in jail? And shouldn't keeping someone in jail be something about protecting other members of society, protecting them from themselves, trying to discourage recidivism? And so here's somebody who slaughtered four or five people, and it wasn't because of anything about their specific character that remains, but was absolutely the process of a chemical process in their brain that is now gone. Why should we keep them in jail? Right. And I don't I don't mean to get bogged down in this at all, but that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about what makes Matt Matt? What makes a human human? There necessarily must be an essence that gives continuity as the change is going on. This is the one and the many. I'd love a definition uh, of the essence. I'd love a definition of the essence. That's like the first thing I wrote down when you were talking is what what exactly do you mean by essence? Because you and I am not I'm not meaning this insulting anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You this is what I meant when I said we, we're going to use language in a different way because you're talking about oh, there's an essence of existence. I have no idea what that is, and I haven't yet got a description of it now, other than it seems to be some ineffable, it's the thing that makes humans human. It's the thing that makes existent things exist. Well, those are both tautologies that don't add anything edifying at all. Okay, I, 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 might, be, I might not be communicating this because um, I'm not saying there's an essence of existence. I'm saying that what makes a dodo bird a dodo bird? We define things by their essences. That, that is what we do. A definition is a description of what a thing is. That a thing is, is also distinct. Like if you ask, from, if, you ask if, if you ask three people to define a dodo bird, what would they say that you think is essence? That's that. You want to look at the definition, how we define a particular thing. We define them according to their essence or their nature. That is you, distinct. I know you just said that, but I'm, I'm asking for some kind right. of example because you've said that twice now, and I still don't know what it means. Well, just because just because people will ignorantly give different definitions of a thing doesn't make the fact that we have defined something like this and we define it. I don't mean to repeat myself by what it is like but, the dictionary definition of what a human being is. 
Okay, so first of all, dictionaries aren't prescriptive. Pre dictionaries aren't prescriptive, they're descriptive. All, we, language we use, and dictionaries just describe how we use language. But if you, like, for example, I can pull up on Wikipedia. Uh, the dodo is an extinct flightless bird that was endemic to the island of Mauritius, east of Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. The do dodo's closest genetic relative was also extinct, uh, Rodriguez Solitaire. The, what they're doing here when they're defining dodo is describing things about it it's not a complete definition, but what about that is essence? And how would we know the essence of a dodo versus the essence of something else? It's what a thing is. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess a, what's I, a human being? Well, there's a number of different It's a rational animal. You know, let's just say that rational animal. I don't, why would I, why would I define human being as a rational animal? Do you not think there are other potentially rational animals that aren't human? Well, that is the standard definition of a human being is a rational animal. That's all. That's one, that's one description of a human being, but the, I, I would argue that there are other primates and dolphins and others that, that would count as rational animals that are. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of irrelevant to what, what I'm trying to say. I mean, we're defining when we define it, we're defining it from what it is. We may not have a complete definition of something, but that doesn't negate the fact that there is a something, there's a nature of something. No, that you're, you're saying the description is the description. The, the fact no. that you're, you're describing something doesn't mean that what it is is some sort of essence that needs an explanation. Please, so like, for example, when we define dodo, it's an extinct flightless bird. Let's ignore the extinct thing and pretend like it was still here because we were describing it. Um, okay, what does it mean to say flightless bird? Well, those are words that we use um, that have particular usages about the type of animal we're talking about and what its capabilities are. But that doesn't mean that that's the essence of a dodo. I, I don't. I, I, I really... I really think you're not getting what I'm saying. I know I'm not. Uh, this is standard uh, uh, philosophical truth. This is this is uh, not something I'm making up whatsoever. Uh, we define things by what they are, their essence. We don't have a complete explanation. The scientific uh, method, we go out and we examine things and we look at their characteristics and their properties and we put a definition to it. I mean, that's that's the way reality is all about. We define things, things, uh, what makes me different from you and what makes a human being different from, you know, a rock is what it is. It's nature, it's essence, what it is. I, I agree that what that makes me different from I, you and both of us different from a rock gets down to what we are, but I don't see anything that you can point to that qualifies as essence. These are all physical aspects of each of us. The things that are different between me and you and between the rock are all physical things that we can describe and identify and detect. What we're, we're in is, is essence. It's not a thing. It's not what a thing. It is. It's an explanation. It's, it's essence, what it is. Is, it? essence is our packaged description of those qualities, not the qualities. A, a, a nature is what we look at and then we define what that thing is, put down the definition. Uh, I think we're going down a, a rabbit hole here. What I am saying is that because that is distinct, because what a thing is and that a thing is dis is distinct. I know uh, uh, essentialism is uh, something that uh, most 
most atheists, a lot of uh, thinkers today think is uh, uh, not a part of reality, you know, very reductionistic these days. Uh, you know, we even uh, with evolutionary theory, they, they define things, uh, you know, in a way uh, I think is uh, cladistics, I think has, has, is uh, fallacious from the beginning because it defines something by what it's made of, eukaryotic, for example, and say that we all share in that, but the principle is the same. The unity and the diversity and the fact that when we are looking for, oops, sorry about that. We're looking for the explanation of ourselves. We know that we are composed of parts. There must be one who has put those parts together. That is the core of my argument. Okay. Which is based on uh, the laws of logic. So, so first of all, you just seem to suggest, and I want to make sure I'm understanding this right, that you're opposed to scientific classification of creatures by their biological facts. I think I think that uh, cladistics is not the full answer. That I just by way of of well, I mean, you know, at least with cladistics, we are pointing at least the science they're pointing to specific detectable identifiable properties. And yet you're willing to point to other properties and call them essence. What I'm well, what I'm saying is that how is how is your characteristic? How is whether or not something is your characteristic not a part of its nature? Because it's what it's made of. It's its matter, not its form. So whether or not something is eukaryotic is not its nature, but it's its there's but the a thing that you can't describe that makes me me is my nature. But eukaryotic is definitely not it. That's what we're made of, right? That's matter. That's like trying to define a house by saying it's wood, and then saying it's this, it, it shares a common ancestor with the bench. I don't want to get into evolution at all. But what I'm, I was just trying to point out by way of illustration that the loss of the concept of essences has put a lot of what passes today committing some logical fallacies by not understanding that there is a true essence and form behind what is. In order to have any kind of continuity through time, there must be that which is existing and identifying what a thing is through time. Now, time right. happens to be part of, our, part of our nature as we are temporal beings, but I'm trying to uh, simply illustrate by way of other information that essences are real. Though that's how we define things. We don't define things by what they're made of. Sure, we, we do. Define we do it by all the time. We do it. We, we do it all the time. And a eukaryote is just an organism okay, whose cells ha have a nucleus. So why is it a problem to say that right, the nature of eukaryotic cells is that they have a nucleus? That might be part of what they are, as in part of what a human being is, is that we are made of bone and skin and blood. It's part of it. But there's also that immaterial aspect, that form. For example, if I'm going to make a statue, whether I do it by the negation of the material there or if I put it in some sort of form and pour metal in there, I am necessarily putting a form to that matter. I'm making a matter form composition that requires a composer, one who is putting that matter form together. 
if we chisel out a statue, necessarily I am bringing form to that statue. What I'm saying is, is that looking at what something is made of is not the full picture. It's just the matter. Where's the essence, the form? Now these there are is no essence, essence or form. form. That's that's my point. There is no essence or form. You have you have utterly failed no. to point to anything that counts as essence or form. And and the thing is, if we were to describe cells, if we're going to decide, if we were going to describe cells as eukaryotic, that is not about what they're made of. It is an abstract description of how they are put together. These are the types of cells that have a nucleus. It doesn't tell you how wide they are, how big they are. It doesn't tell you what's in the nucleus. It doesn't tell you what it's made of. It doesn't tell you what genetics are in there. It is a description, an abstract description of the structure, just as saying, I am a reasoning being is an abstract description of what this meat sack does. But to say that me and a plant, we are in the same clade because we're made of eukaryotic cells is a fallacy. No, it's That's not. the matter. It's, it's the called essence? set theory. It's called set theory. At this level, you are in the same bucket as a plant. At this level, plants are now outside and you're in with other animals. At this level, you're in with only primates. At this level, you're in with only humans. At this level, you're in with only people from, you know, a uh, descent of uh, in, in Eurasia or, or Europe or wherever else. It all depends on what resolution you're looking at it. We are. We I, under, are I understand the rest of it. I'm not. Okay. I'm, my my only point was is that pointing out that because I'm made of eukaryotic cells and something else is made that there's some sort of uh, cladistic family there is to negate the existence of of an essence or a form. What no, makes a thing a thing? No, it doesn't. What what, what makes if, a, a if if a there bird, isn't. If there is an essence or a form, you should be able to demonstrate that no matter how people have labeled cells. Well, I can demonstrate it very easily. I can take a form and I can take that form. What form? What's a form? Wood and build a house. What, what's a, a form? form is what's the a... essence of a thing. It's what makes a you thing You keep defining the, what it the is. exact same word. You keep saying the same words over again. Oh, the form is the essence. Because you're not the quite getting it's, it. That is a tautology. You're not getting it. That's why. How can I get it when I ask you what a form is and you say it's the essence of a thing? If you just keep saying just the same words over and over again, how can anybody get it? A form or an essence or a nature is the definition of what a thing is. Okay. It's a definition okay. then, which means- And it's distinct it's, from existence itself. It is a definition that doesn't exist, which means it's not a function of the person or the entity or the thing that you're describing at all. It is something that you're putting onto it. That's what definitions are. Definitions are abstract definitions descriptions in language. They're not real. They're not real. They're, if, They're not if every, real. If every mind, no if every mind, it, it's words. We made really? words up. You're not. You're a nominalist then. The, the, the only thing that actually exists are the words that we put to them? No, I didn't. The word the words don't exist. The words are the abstract concepts. No. no they, they are no. the abstractions. When you say they're just words, you're suggesting that you're a nominalist, that there is no real thing behind those words. Is there a real human being behind the definition of Matt, a human being, also he's an individual who has you, these particular characteristics. 
Yes. If I was there to is describe a, or define you. Yes, there that, is a that's place. what I would say, right? There, there is a place and a label. The label is just something we make up. If we call this the United mm -hmm. States, if we call this the United States of America, we have made up a place. It is a word. It is a concept. It does not exist. It does not need to exist. But the thing that it's pointing to, this particular block of land established with the government, et cetera, that thing exists and can be demonstrated. Yeah, but, but, but it can be called but the anything. Way our, Wait one second. Just hear the rest of Matt. Just hear the rest of Matt. Just to be sure, did you, was that the end of your sentence, Matt? I couldn't tell. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't quite understand what you're saying. Because there is a, a reality behind the words that I'm using. If you say the United States, there is there is a place called the United States. Correct. But the word right. United States is something we made up. It has no meaning and it has no existence. The word, the concept lives in a brain. And we could have called it the blah, 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 blah. We could be exactly. living in the, in the blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yes, that, that is the thing. Yeah, yeah. So the thing exists, that. not the word. I'm not saying the word exists. I, but I've, you I've did because you literally said form Essence and nature are the definition, but definitions are descriptions that we place onto things. They are not essences of the things. I, I, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. It's we are describing said. the essence by giving it a nature, or, or we're, de we're describing the nature by giving it a definition. I have no problem there, at all. There's, there's, a real, there's a reality there that we are looking at and examining and writing down a definition. I'm not saying the definition in and of itself, this, the word, we can call it whatever you want. You could call it what you're goobly gobbly, whatever. I'm talking about what's behind, what that language signifies. There is, Me there too. is a real. Me too. That? And when we begin to describe, for example, let's define this pen. All of the okay. things that we can say about this pen, um, what writing's on it, what color it is, what size it is, what kind of ink it is, what, how full it is, where it is, at what angle it is, what temperature it is. All of those things are physical properties of this. What is it that is not physical that you say is the essence of this pen? Penness. We describe it as a writing uh, utensil. No, no, no. Writing utensil is a description we put onto what this is used for. That is not an essence of the thing. And when I ask you, what is it about, about this pen? If you say penness, that is not even remotely a response that adds anything of substance. What is God like? God like. What is life? Life. What is existence? Existence. What is the essence? It's the essence. I'm asking for something that teaches get, us what you mean. I get what you're saying, but I get what you're saying, but without that pin in front of us, if I said pin, you would know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Do you know why? Right. Right. Yes, because there is a real reality behind no. what a pin is. No, because you and I speak yeah. the same language, and we each have a concept in our head that is similar, right. similar but right. not identical concepts. When you say pen in English and I hear it, we are communicating information. We are not presenting the essence of a pen. We are using language to trigger something in my head, the same as what's been triggered or as close as we can get to the thing that's been triggered in your head. 
There's not an essence that we're identifying. We're using a description. This is this is the way I would submit the the answer to that. Somebody came up with the concept of a pen, a writing utensil, or whatever. Same way, let's put it back on to human beings. Conceptually, there was an essence of what a human being is. Now, I'm saying that essence exists apart from a human being. I'm, I'm not a, uh, a realist in the sense of, of there are platonic forms out there, but there is really a human nature that resides in you and me that we mutually share that is distinct from us, not separated from us, but distinct from us. All that we see, the multiplicity of what is, because there is no existing principle or property within human beings, we have it contingently, we have it accidentally. Again, we must look to something that has existence in and of itself, and that has been popularly defined as God. Here's I'm not saying that pinness exists outside of an individual pin, but I'm saying that that is a real that is a real reality that conceptually is. we identify. And human beings created a pin. If we push that back to human beings, there is a nature that you have and I have that we share in common. We are both human beings. And we share in that. That is the unifying aspect of what we are. Now, as individuals, there is still a substance there by which we make predications. I'm saying that because there are essences in this world, it's the same composition, matter and form, essence, existence. These things are synonymous. A form, an essence, or a nature, those words are all synonymous. What a thing is and that it exists are distinct. There must be one that has given an act of existence to what we see in reality in order to ground that reality. That's that's my argument. I think we got bogged down on some of this particular stuff that probably so, boring other people real bad. But <laughs> well, The problem is, is that the question was, is there good reason to believe in a God? And as far as I can tell, you think the good reason for to believe in a God is that there must be something that serves as the essence grounder. But throughout there the is some I don't think you're quite getting my my argument here. I don't to, know, to but to be honest, I might not be uh, communicating it as, as well as I can. But. You you've literally said several times tonight that there must be the thing that there's a difference between what is and that is, and that there must be a thing that brings into being that is. That serves as the grounding for that is. Uh, not, not well. I don't know. In any case, here yeah, we this was supposed to be. This was supposed to be. This was supposed to be a debate about whether or not there's good evidence for the existence of God. And whatever it is that Kenny's saying is good I'm, evidence for the existence of God. I'm submitting. So, logical, am I going to get to finish? Hold on. Oh, Go ahead, sorry, Matt. Yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt. Somehow gets to essence. And for the last 45 minutes or more, I've been trying to get to any sort of definition or understanding of what essence is that isn't a, a bald assertion or a tautology. And I defy anyone to show anything here that isn't either a bald assertion, that there's something, that there's some nature distinct from us, there's some essence distinct from us that is humanness, that is penness, that isn't merely a description of what we are and what we do. 
There's a multiplicity of books out there that you can grab. Yeah, um, but I came to debate you, Kenny, I, and if you can't answer that, the question, what am I supposed to do? Uh, Go I read a book? I think you're understanding my answer is what well, the problem is. Okay, then it's my fault, not yours. No. I, I'm, I'm just not able I, to, I, to comprehend I can, this. I can, I can bear the blame of not communicating it accurately, but that's why I've been repeating myself. This is Re not repeating uh, is not educating. Repeating is no, not I edifying. I didn't say I didn't say it was. I said because my perception is you're not getting the argument is why I've been repeating myself. I'm not. I'm not. Okay, uh, but okay, one no, 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 no. With, with what I would saying. like There's to get back you knew to. I wasn't like, getting it, and you know, repeating doesn't help. Why the hell would you repeat if you know somebody's not getting it? Because that helps with with people when you repeat something. Eventually, you just said repeating help. doesn't help, and you knew it didn't help. All right, all right, whatever. What's next? There may be a way <laughs> in which maybe using a different analogy, Kenny, might move it in a direction that kind of brings about new ideas or perspectives on this particular argument. Otherwise, maybe even moving to a different argument is okay, too. We do have a bit before the Q&A yet. Yeah, I... I... Uh, I I don't know that uh, there's really anything to move on. Uh, I mean, do you have I'm any evidence for God? I'm trying to give you logical proofs for God, and I think it's it's quite logically ne necessary that if we look at reality and it's composed, there must be one who composed it. Wait, what do you mean simple. one? What do you mean one who composed it? First of all, how do you know the reality is composed, and how do you know that there's a composer? And what is it? What, what do you, what do you know about you. that composer? No, you didn't. Asserting that something is so is not answering the question of how. Why? Why is it every time that you say something and I ask you for clarification, you claim you just told me? Because I did. I, I did. Okay. I defy. So literally, the, there was nothing out of your mouth other than an assertion that. If something is that that reality is composed and there must have been one who composed it. I asked, how do you know right. it is composed? Because that's a very particular. And I told use. you, because you, we look at ourselves, we have parts. What's, what's hard to understand that's, about that's that? Not how you tell, that's parts. not how you tell if something is composed because yes, composed. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Can you can say no, it's not. It, Individual parts put together. Necessarily point, means hold on one second. Point Wait, why, how will we do this? Intent. One second. I just want to jump in, just because, it, in terms of explaining how it, namely, because they are in parts together, how that leads to it being composed. We'll give you a chance to do that, Kenny, and then we'll give Matt a chance to respond because uh, I think there's a uh, Matt's wanting more detail this on is, why that yeah. follows. You don't get to call sense. something a, a composition. Car is made of a car is made of parts. Somebody must have put those parts together, i.e. a composer. I, I don't know why this is 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 can, uh, can I understand? Can I? Yeah. I agree with you that cars okay. are put together. Now, how do you know that a cell was put together by someone? Uh, I don't know that we're even uh, talking about that. I'm talking about human beings. I mean, if you want to, because cells are parts, even the uh, scientists will tell you that there was something that preceded the cell. Reason tells us, even in the Big Bang, that we must go back to a singularity. 
say you're now confusing whether or not there was a first cause or whether or not there was a first state or whether or not there was a change with whether or not something is composed composition no. composition <laughs> yes you are let me finish composition no. if you don't want to hear it kenny i guess we can just go on to questions because if let's, I, let, let's go on to let's go on to questions okay then kenny doesn't want to hear it but I'm going to say it anyway, because I came here to do work. Go ahead. Go ahead. In order to say that something is composed, that implies that there is an intentional action, a goal in bringing this out. That is true, I would say, for a car. And we know that that's true because we know about how cars are designed, built, manufactured, et cetera. So when you see a car, you know it's put together of a bunch of different things. A human being, on the other hand, does not have the same evidence or track record or surrounding understanding that we have for a car. So it's very weird to say that human beings were composed in the way that cars were composed. And when you say that a car is composed, we can find mountains of evidence for that. But when you say that a human being is composed, you are just inferring and not actually providing evidence. How do you tell the difference between something that is composed and something that is not composed if you believe that there's a God who composed everything, because now you are walking around in a universe of composed things on a beach of composed things scattered with composed things. And you're picking up this composed thing and claiming it's different and that this is evidence of God. Whereas a car is not evidence of God. Car is evidence of agency. I agree. And the but the entire reality, the entire re reality itself, creation itself, has parts, even the universe, unity and diversity, unified in the fact we call it a universe, but time, space, matter, energy, a composition. There must be a ground, something, someone that has put the universe together because it's composed of parts. That which this is a, a, a almost a self-evident principle. Okay, can I ask one question? Sure. Is there anything? composed of parts that wasn't put together by an agent? No, because it's a irrational. So, Which atheism that, is irrational because it, it, it necessarily requires such absurdities. That, that makes your entire argument circular because there is, you're basically <laughs> saying there is no possibility that anything ever occurred other than being composed by a god. So you're assuming the very thing that you're trying to demonstrate and not actually no, that's demonstrating not no, I'm looking at composition and saying there must be one who composed it or no. something that composed it. Who is one? Th this is no, no, I, I, I would f I'm fine with the notion that there is an explanation for how something comprised of different parts came together. Right. I'm not fine with you assuming that it is an agent necessarily. You have to demonstrate that. Well, if if, if we had time, I would. But no. the, I'm, we, we're trying to get past the principle. I thought that's why we were here. Well, we're getting past. The, I don't know how we, much time we're you need. We're having a hard time getting past the principle. We're having a hard time getting to a definition. I don't know how much time you need to, to demonstrate that every, you know, it's like you and I look I, at two different things and you say they're both designed. And I say, well, this one's clearly designed by human beings. We don't know what the explanation for this one is. Uh, that's not really my argument either. It's just the fact that reality is not. Uh, Plato spoke of the fact that 
Don't care. Unity grounds multiplicity. You can you can quote as many people as you want and make as many assertions as you want. I came here for evidence for God. I was giving you an argument for God. I'm not going to be able to give you empirical evidence because it's a category mistake. You cannot describe the whole by the part. We can go to questions and, and answer there, James. I think we've come to pass in that sense. We will jump into the Q&A. Want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. Highly encourage you. You can hear plenty more where that came from. And thank you very much for your first question. This one coming in from Dustin Ellerby says, where did God get his data to create or even exist? And what mechanism does God use to create complex life when God has no parts? Dr. Rose. Um, again... I'm arguing for the logical necessity that one is first and it grounds all multiplicity. This is classic theism. When you begin to look into what properties or what this one must be, it takes us back to the Christian God who is the ground of all things perfect unity and diversity within his very nature. You got it. Thank you very much. And this one coming in from Ozzy, and thank you very much, says, why must there be an ultimate reason for human existence, Dr. Rhodes? The answer should be self-evident if there is a God who wants us to know the meaning. Uh, read that one more time. If you you bet they said, why must there be an ultimate reason for human existence? The answer should be self-evident if there is a God who wants us to know that meaning? Uh, it's logically necessary that the universe has an explanation. This one, coming in from Amy Newman, thanks so much, says, after show at my channel, and question for Dr. Kenny, said, is this God conscious? If so, why? Um. It's called the principle of proportionate causality. You can't give what you don't have. Gotcha. And this one from Don Fullman. Appreciate it. Says, for both of you, if, quote, I think, therefore, I am is logical, is, quote, I was nothing before I could think, and I'll be nothing after I die, just as logical. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, as a Thomist, uh, the statement is backwards. Uh, I think, therefore I am. It's actually, I am, therefore I think. My, be my existence is self-evident. It's a self-evident, undeniable truth that I exist. And based on that, I am myself the law of identity, law of non-contradiction. Uh, you can trace that all the way back through law of causality, law principle, I should say principle, uh, just, just for uh, clarity, uh, all the way back to analogy, principle of analogy, uh, that uh, all reality is grounded in a necessary being. Yeah, and I would say, and I don't mean this to be insulting, but I, <laughs> I could back this up 
if, if we were able to dig in on it, that it's clear Dr. Rhodes does not understand the cogito because you can't just reverse it and say, I am, therefore, I think is how it should be. Because what Descartes was trying to do was demonstrate how, at a minimum, one can be assured of one's own existence. And I think it was Thomas Hobbes that pointed out that that's still predicated on the primacy of reason. But now we're four questions in, and all we hear is that it's logically necessary for every single question, um, except for the consciousness <laughs> one, which is you can't bring something into that you don't have. It's literally the only answer he's given, logically necessary. I, I wasn't negating... Uh that statement there, I was just simply putting it in Thomistic terms. This one coming in from Daniel Baker. Appreciate it. Said for both Matt and Kenny, if you discovered your position was wrong, how would that affect your daily life? Matt, could you handle living with God? And Kenny, could you handle living without God? Um, so if it turns out there was a God, I'd be interested to know. That doesn't mean I would worship that God or revere that God, but I would certainly believe that that God exists. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't understand why God seems to just be playing hide and seek, because he could clearly reveal himself or herself or themselves or whatever to all of us without question, um, to the point where we don't need to have these discussion debates and, and could also provide some information so that maybe we know what essence is or what is or isn't logically necessary. But what I live with, it depends on who that God is as to whether or not I'd want to spend any time with him. Just like I could believe there was a king or a president and not necessarily like that one or want to you know, stay around them. I can't do anything to stop a God from doing whatever it wants with me. Um, and so I just have to rest assured that I am at least morally superior to anybody who would punish me for being sincere and honest. You got it. And Kenny, how about you? Uh I would um, probably seek, just like every person who doesn't believe in God, uh, to live the best life that I can if uh, there was no God. You got it. And you know, made by Jim. I wouldn't Jimbo. live any different than Matt or, or anybody else. You know, I try to do good to my neighbor and everything else because those things are, um, you know, good. And, and I, would, I, I like that. I wonder, and maybe we can talk about this another time, I wonder which things you and I actually do or don't agree, agree are good, but I, I would agree with you that we're all trying to, you know, I just don't understand why it's not enough to, for people to consistently try to, to do good in the way that you and I both would. I like that. Yeah, yeah. No, no I mean, I, I, I am very sympathetic to atheism. Um, I've gone through periods of my life three major periods where I uh, almost lost faith. So I do understand uh, atheists. I don't think they're wicked people or depraved or degenerates like a lot of people, like a lot of my uh, rabid fundamentalist Christian brothers and sisters do. Uh, I, I have a, I have a great relationship with my, my friend who's a huge Matt uh, fan. So um you know, we, we try to do good, do good to our, our fellow neighbor. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm Very not angry. opposed. Yeah. I mean, I'm not at odds with, with Matt or any other atheists. I have good friends that are. Gotcha. And this one coming in from, do appreciate your question from Mark Reed. Says, Dr. Kenny, it seems you speak like the essence, quote unquote, of something is separate than the thing itself. How would you demonstrate that an essence exists independently um that is simply um the fact that 
we can do this by analogy. Human beings, we uh, when we draw up arch architectural plans, uh, we have the form of something, the essence of what that thing is, and it takes an agent to bring that thing into existence. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're separated. I'm saying that that essence is seen in the instantiation of, of what that thing is. It's distinct. It's not separate. But it's still a part of what something is. To be and not to be uh, are distinct. And what a thing is and that a thing is are, are just distinct as well. You got it. And this one coming in from... Brandy Beckett, thanks so much, said, Dr. Rhodes is my invisible floating dragon, part of this ocean of existence, and if not, then why? Right there is an essence that doesn't have an, an a existence in the world. It has a virtual existence, and it can't be living because God has not given it an active existence, but it still has existence because he can point it out and I assume that the words that he's saying are actually corresponding to a concept. Gotcha. Thank you very much for this question coming or coming in from made by Jim Bob says, Matt, any argument against God can be invalidated when used against truth. I'm not sure what they mean by that. Any argument against mean. God can be invalidated when used against truth. That's what they say. I don't get it I, either. I, I don't know what they mean, but I would I would argue that you know, I, I tend to go with a, a correspondence view of truth. The truth is that which comports to reality. And so if somebody can demonstrate the truth of a proposition, um, then I think they're right. I just think what happens quite often, um, and, and, and here I would say, is that one person is convinced that something is true and is not capable of demonstrating that it is true or that it's reasonable to believe that it's true. Um, and so, yeah. Gotcha. And then this one coming in from Jonathan Lane says, Dr. Rhodes, if God is what defines something's essence apart from human definitions, then how is God distinguishable from the universe as we experience it? If God isn't distinguishable, what's the point? Uh, I'm, I'm not understanding the question could you maybe read that again you bet they say if god is what defines something's essence apart from human definitions then how is god distinguishable from the universe as we experience it uh gosh i don't even know how to answer that one i don't uh, I, I would have to have more information to get at what what they're trying to ask um yeah i i, I don't I don't think I can give that a good answer. That, that's, I know how to answer it from Dr. Rhodes' perspective, there but I go. don't think I should do that. <laughs> God is the thing that gives essence to the universe as well. He's he's drawn a category line where it doesn't match with what you've said. Well, he gives existence to the world. Right, but the, the questioner was asking how God is distinct from the universe. And the, and the thing that you should have answered to be consistent is that God is distinct from the universe because God gives existence to the universe and does not give existence to himself. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> this My brain's one, a little fried. But right what do now. I know? I don't understand this stuff. <laughs> this one coming in from Nick says, two for Matt. 
Would you be up for an exhibition boxing match for any atheist charity versus cosmic skeptic? That's no. the first question. And then I, so- I have no interest in, in boxing matches. If we wanted to do something else to raise money for something, I would. I don't feel the need to beat other people even uh, mildly for fun. I'd rather do something better. This one from Nick uh, as well says, are you related to Robert Anton Wilson? Your thoughts on him, Matt? I have no idea. Gotcha. Okay. And-, and no thoughts. You got it, and Thanks, conservative non-believer. Appreciate your super chat. Says, fun times. I couldn't agree more. And Tracy Evans says, Kenny used wiggly words such as essence and form. And then... He, and then he said, uh, don't bring it up if you can't define and defend it. Kenny will give you a chance to defend yourself against that. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'll I'll pass. Gotcha. And Marcos Laurenti says, as a fellow atheist, I'm glad to see Matt at least humble himself and not call the other person names and at least listen to them out. I was there. uh, I was there. I was where Matt was 30 years ago. Don't let anger be you. What was the first sentence of that? He said, as a fellow atheist, I'm glad to see Matt at least humble himself and not call the other person uh, names. I don't think they're referring to Kenny. I think that I don't know what they're referring, though. So, so, okay, let me hit this super quick. Uh, Don't do the I was where you were. I'm better than you. Don't do that as an atheist. Don't do that as a Christian. It would be absolutely vile for me to show up and say, Kenny, I used to be where you were and I found my way out. And it would be absolutely vile for Dr. Rhodes to look at me and go, I used to share your your concerns, but I found my way out. To put yourself as the bigger person. Yes, I didn't call anybody anybody names, and I didn't get particularly upset today. But there's also nothing wrong with uh, having an impassioned plea for something. So rather than worrying about, oh, I'm so glad somebody acted so much better, let's focus on can we argue better? Can we present evidence for things? Uh, I, I don't want the theists name calling and smacking people around in chat i don't want the atheists doing it i'd like to be able to have a discussion if we get somewhere cool if we don't at least we tried and maybe we'll know how to do it better next time you got it i wholeheartedly i wholeheartedly agree uh with matt there um you know being passionate nothing wrong with that at all no matter how much kenny and i argue tonight i'm sure that we could go hang out sometime if people th- seem to think that, like, ooh, it, it came to, to verbal blows. All of a sudden, now we're at war. No, we're not at war. Heck, we, we probably would have played for the same softball team at one point until I tore my arm. <laughs> you got we might it. be able to play music together, too. That, that we, I, I'll I could show you a few, few things. Ahead, James, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got it. Jake 4D, thanks, sir. Your question says, this essence is essence is Deepak Chopra. And uh, you are, they said, Dr. Smith, uh, Dr. Rhodes, you are adding words, let's see, uh, behind it. And I don't understand this. They say, please stop using necessary without justification. So I'll give you a chance to respond to that as I, guessing you have a, a thought on that, Dr. Rhodes. Nah, it seemed like more of a comment. So I'll just let it pass as that. Gotcha. Daniel Rathburn says, has... Let's see. Well, we'll entertain it because it is interesting. I think as long as we don't go too far down the rabbit hole, they asked, when does the ship of Theseus uh, lose its essence and become a new ship? 
or no longer? Never. Never. And I would agree because the ship of Theseus doesn't have any essence. Nothing does. <laughs> Juicy and can't, can't lose. Well, something at least we, you've we never agree had. on the conclusion. <laughs> can't lose something you never had. You got it. And then Oflamio says there is good evidence for deities, like there is good evidence for round Earth. And I think they mean a. They they told me they meant a globe Earth. It is all de- deniable. A description for who we are and what we do is your answer for the deity question. I got nothing. Sounds like a comment. And I'm so. confused by that as well. Sigifredo Sarabia, thank you for your question. Says, Dr. Rhodes, if using the, quote, two or the essences to describe a thing, does God rely on these essences for us to describe God as all good, omniscient, powerful, etc. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. It kind of sounds like they're trying to figure out how from logical necessity, you got to the God of classical theism and that, that you can look up. I think that is what, I think that's what the question was asking too. Okay. I don't want to get bogged down in it, but um, same thing as what I said. I, uh, what we see is composed of parts, and there is a uh, logical impl- in implication. For example, um, here's another principle that's self-evident and undeniable. The per accidents necessarily implies the per se, meaning that if there is a, the accident of tallness, it must necessarily be in a per se, a substance. So if I see existence as an accidental feature of reality, that nothing within reality has existence in and of itself, that means that existence is accidental. It implies necessarily logically that there is a per se existence there, something, someone. Gotcha. And this one coming in. Appreciate your question. Snack Nasasius. Appreciate it. Says this Thomistic stuff is presuppositional apologetics. And <laughs> they say abstractions are not a third state of reality and that there is no penness. We'll give you a chance to respond to that, Dr. Rhodes. Uh, the reason why I said what I said right at the beginning is I said I'm starting with the nature of reality and created being, and then deducing and by abduction, by way of remotion, going back to what is necessary to account for what we see in existence. And I'll jump in with two things. First of all, please stop calling everybody a presuppositionalist just because you don't understand it. Please, atheist, please, 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 please stop doing that. Not everybody who says something that is philosophical and and uh, and it, it is um, analytic as opposed to synthetic is necessarily a presuppositionalist. Uh, Thank now, you, Matt. I appreciate that because I repudiate presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that they have good reasons, and you can go after that. But I would point out <laughs> I that, one of, the things, agree with that. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that Kate just said is that he started with a created being. And I do the same thing, except I just start with a being and try to figure out whether or not it's created. Because if you start by believing that the being is created, you're going to find a creator. 
yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah, I should have said existent being. Yeah, Matt's right with that one. You got it. And Dustin Ellerby, thanks for your question, said, describing something that doesn't exist in reality doesn't make it exist. Has anyone ever seen a god create anything? No. So why think that's the case, Dr. Rhodes? Um, I don't know, like uh, the illustration Matt and I used earlier, I don't need to see the one who started the fire in the wood to uh, know that there is a reason why that wood caught on fire. Something started it. Yeah, the difference is... It doesn't have to be a person, but yeah. The difference is you're you're reaching a conclusion that it's a person, not necessarily the fire, but with everything else. And that's the point, is that maybe that fire was started by a person, maybe it was started by a bolt of lightning, um, and maybe it's started by something else that we don't know or understand. And so when I look at the universe and say, what is the explanation for everything? My beginning point is, I don't know. And when we look around, we gradually learn more and more, and we build up good explanations for the things we know. It's not like, you know, uh, you know, you, you may have objections to whether or not we categorize things by clades, but it's not like we're wrong about whether or not there's a cell with a nucleus, and it's not like we're wrong about whether or not, you know, the, this is the way biology by and large works. Whereas once upon a time, we didn't have a germ theory of disease. We had spirits, and, you know, this, is, this was people's explanation for things. What happens is, as we find good reasons for believing stuff, the gods vanish. The gods' ability to interact with us and the evidence for the gods is directly, uh, is inversely proportional with our ability to investigate and discover the truth about reality. Miracles decline just as videotape starts climbing up, you know, above and beyond. It's just, but that's me preaching, uh, not just answering the question. <laughs> We'll what I what I would just what I would just simply add is that I can know though rationally and necessarily that whatever started that fire had heat either virtually, imminently, or formally. I can know that for certain. One, one more time. I can know that whatever started that fire, that that agency had the ability to start that fire either virtually, imminently, or formally. That mean, that just simply means uh, the, the, yeah, I, I my, don't have to. Have my only problem was that you. My only problem was that you put the word agency in there, which. Well, I'm not. I didn't use agency as capital A, so to speak. But uh, I would consider natural law some sort of uh, you know unintelligible agency, uh, something that is causing something else. In a certain sense. We'll jump into the next one. Thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Distro Physicist. Says there's a rock and a tree stump in my garden. I thought about using them as furniture for tomorrow's lunch. Do they already have an essence of furniture? If yes, who and at what point connected that essence and being for Dr. Rhodes? Well, he, once he would put it in the form of some sort of furniture, then he would be creating the essence of a chair or whatever it is. He's bringing form to the matter. You got it. And this one coming in from NOXD says, Kenny, this, the, uh, the designed car consisting of parts is a false analogy fallacy. The car has parts. It's designed. The universe has parts. Thus, it's designed. 
I think they're attempting to paraphrase you. They say, what about a particle with no parts? Is it designed? A particle with no parts, uh, we see a lot of particles coming together to produce what we see in reality. That would be uh, a simple thing, but it still exists within space and time, and that would be the composition at that point, not necessarily uh, a simple essence in that sense. So, Technically so speaking... Saying, well, I'm so sorry. now you're go, saying the composition ahead. isn't just a thing with a bunch of parts, but a part put into space and time is a composition? No, I'm saying the composition is time and space. You can't have a particle without space and time. So I, I swear a particle, that's literally what I just asked. Yeah. Well, maybe I didn't hear right. exactly what you said there. Yeah. Let, let, let's go on uh, unless Matt wants to say something. Else. I'm good. You got it. This one coming in from Caleb Alamond. Thank you. Said if quote, you can't give what you don't have unquote, does this mean God has black holeness or the essence of it, black holes and Law of gravity-ness. <laughs> you can't give what you don't have. You must have it either formally, eminently, or virtually. Um, it would take too much time to explain exactly what all of that is. For example, if I punch somebody, I don't have to have a black eye myself to give them a black eye. So that means that I uh, have that in a sense um, imminently or formally, or, um, I forgot the other one I said, but, um, it, it's just the ability to bring about a certain effect in that sense. You got it. And thank so you very if much. If you can't, if you can't give what you don't have, does that include hope and inspiration? Um, talking about, uh, causality at that point, um, Just food for thought. Gotcha. And this one coming in from Anubis. Let me know if I'm pronouncing this right. They say, Anubis patron says, Kenny, if or it was unclear to me why the Hebrew God is the true God, why are you so certain when there are plenty of monotheistic religions and even some that predate Judaism, such as, such as Zoroastrians? Uh, that that would take uh, a long time, but it's just based on uh, monotheism. Then we get into the realm of theology. We would need to ask uh, the question, you know, did uh, this God reveal himself? Um, you know, there, a lot would go into it. But I have tried the best that I can to be uh, rational in the steps that I've made so that I have good reasons, just like Matt, I totally agree with him. I, I want to believe as many true things as I can, and I want to have good reasons for believing that. So there is a reason why I would start where I do. I'd actually start with the self-evident uh, nature of my own existence, trace that back to God, and then ask questions and see if God has revealed himself. Gotcha, and thank you very much how for do, this. How do you tell, by the way? Like if you ask questions to see if God revealed himself, I, 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 I swear, I promise you, Kenny, I swear 
I'm not, this isn't some trick or anything else. I've been asking the same question for ages, even back when I was a believer. People say, oh, I ask God for real himself. How do you know when that's happened? Um, I think for um, just looking at outside evidence, uh, I would just see where uh, there would be evidence for this God to break into to space and time. I, I do believe that miracles uh, or the historical uh, report of those miracles, I hold that uh, the biblical documents are good historical biblical documents before I attribute to them inspiration or the fact that they've come from God, but I look at them as historic documents and then simply go from there, uh, see if there's good evidence for uh, the fact that uh, predictive prophecy uh, came true. Uh, I would ask questions of uh, origin, meaning, morality, destiny, uh, seeing if, uh, you know, this revelation uh, had explanatory scope and power. Uh, there would be those types of questions. We'll jump to the next one. Susie, unless, did you have something you wanted to add, Matt? I didn't want to. No, no, I'm good. Thanks. You got it. Susie says, this is for Matt. Not a question, but please take a bow. Thought you had a really logical presentation. Got a fan out there, Matt. Well, thanks. But I, I, so one, one more quick thing I can do. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'll take a bow just for the person who enjoyed it. But I don't look at debates as win-lose things. I don't look at them as WWE events. I, granted, they are theater, so maybe taking a bow isn't, isn't outlandish <laughs> in theater. Uh, I appreciate the support, but really, all I want is I want to learn something. I want all of us to learn something, and so if anybody learned anything cool, I did my job, and if you didn't, well, alright, that's your fault, because Kenny and I tried. Yeah. <laughs> i just add to that that I don't even really like the uh, notion of a debate, because uh, it, it seems like there's a, an opponent, uh, somebody you're trying to crush. Uh, I like discussion, and, and I came into this uh, just wanting to have a good chat. You got it, and appreciate that about both of you guys. It's been a pleasant, you could say, opportunity to listen for all of us, including myself. And Gio, thank you very much for your question. It says, for Matt, if reality is reductively one single thing, what attributes do you think would best describe the ontological primitive of reality. What attributes would describe the best ontological primitive? Is that, is that what it said? They said the, uh, the ontological primitive of reality. Yeah. Um, I think that, well, since the question began with, if it's reductive and if we're reductivist, then it is only, you never can get to the full understanding um maybe when you got to the to the smallest particles available but if you had for example the position and spin and everything all the facts known about every particle um then that would be a, as descriptive as you could possibly get of the ontology of the universe you i don't think we have anywhere near that but that that is I don't know what else there would be because that would describe their motion, their interaction, all of it. You got it. And this one from Toby says, Dear Dr. Rhodes, when God gave meaning to the essence of life, was the Almighty... Uh, let's see. 
I don't understand the rest of it, so I'm that one I might have to come back to. Sorry about that, Toby, but let me, we might be able to get that later. Daniel Baker says, Matt, can skepticism hold us back? If we dismiss something, if there is no proof, won't that stop us seeking new ways and technologies to find proof? Oh, gosh, no. So, first of all, skepticism doesn't say anything about anything negative about exploration. It's absolutely encouraging of all that. All it says is that the time to be convinced of something is after there's sufficient evidence for it. It is it is setting up methods so that you don't get conned by a Nigerian scam artist or you don't get you know conned into this or you don't waste your time on this. But scientific exploration is absolutely part and parcel of what skeptics do and love and care about. And exploring, what it does is it says, hey, here's three people who are putting forward potential cures for cancer and one of them involves rubbing a rabbit foot on your knee and the other one involves some chemicals that have shown some some you know likelihood uh, in other studies and the other one is prayer which study are we going to spend the most money on doesn't mean we shouldn't investigate others but if there's been a demonstration of efficacy towards one particular channel we move that direction the question i guess becomes how many times does somebody something have to fail before we stop putting money at it and stop it. And skeptics, skeptics aren't cynics. It's not saying, oh, no, no, that failed. If you look at the James Randi Educational Foundation and what they've done over and over, although they're not currently doing it now, is testing people to see if they can do paranormal things. Anybody who says they can do something paranormal, we will establish a test protocol that everyone will agree to, and they will be able to demonstrate that they can do what they can do. So you get a dowser out there and you put them to a test, and then they fail. They failed every single time. Nobody's ever passed a preliminary test. Does that mean dowsing is BS? No. It just means no one has yet demonstrated that they can do what they claim to do. It may be the case that you can never show that something is bunk or false, especially if it's not falsifiable. But you get to a point where you say, we need something new before we're going to expend resources on that. We have a pandemic. We have climate crisis. We have you know, all sorts of things. And we have to decide how best to use our limited resources. And if somebody comes up and says, hey, I want a million dollars to study prayer. Well, they need to go to the Templeton Foundation, who's already done that study and showed that prayer works at the at best at the rate of chance and worse if people know they're being prayed for. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Ferenc Alice says, believers love using words like essence, soul, spirit, aura in their mind. And they say that it's to bridge the natural with something otherly concepts. That's it. Nothing more. I'll give you a chance to respond to that. If you'd like Dr. Rhodes. Uh, you know, just out of habit, sometimes uh, it's very natural for me to use the language that I'm used to. Uh, I try to accommodate the best I can. And when I find myself uh, slipping in an assumption uh, without any um, evidence, I'll try to back it up, uh, just like I did with, you know, calling it someone or something. So um, sometimes it's just hard not to use terms you're so used to using once you uh, feel like you have sufficient evidence for the use of those terms. You got it. And thank you very much for this question from Seth. Nesmith says, Kenny, can you show the empirical evidence associated with the steps taken from A, namely a creator is necessary, to B, the Christian God exists? 
How have you excluded all other illogical possibilities? Um, I couldn't give any empirical um, evidence because uh, that's only looking at the nature of reality and taking apart and trying to explain everything by examining that part. To be honest, my brain is kind of shut down. <laughs> I, I suffered a slight either heat stroke or severe heat exhaustion yesterday. So uh, my energy levels are, are kind of low. So no worries at all. This one coming in from Roger Bernacki. Thank you so much, says Dr. Rhodes. What would make you stop believing in God? Is there anything that could occur in your life that would change your mind? Please use a specific example. Hmm. Uh, I was pretty close to that, um, probably about eight, nine, maybe ten years eight, ago. Seven o'clock. <laughs> I thought I'd turn that off, sorry. Um, evil and suffering is particularly vexing to me. Um and I went through a time that was uh, really, really horrible. Um, a lot of things happened personally. A lot of things happened in my family. Um, it was kind of like uh, the book, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, where he said that um, he thought that God wasn't who he thought he was. And uh, it troubled him. And, and that's uh, kind of the experience that I went through when I was very, very uh, young. Um, I went through a, a similar experience when I uh, heard some of the arguments uh, for evolution and, uh, you know, uh, trying to um, suggest that, uh, you know, looking at how things work somehow does away with uh, agency. So uh, typically, I think just the normal things that most people struggle with, I have struggled with, too. Um Philosophically, I believe that's what has saved, apart from the individual experience of God, and um, with no explanation whatsoever, um, I really felt his presence. I can't give any empirical evidence for that, and the healing of my heart, and a better understanding uh, that just because I projected a certain understanding on who he was doesn't mean that that's who he was. Uh, so um, without getting too uh, transparent, um, that's been my experience of coming close to losing my faith, evil and suffering, which is probably fairly uh, um, common. You got it. Thank you very much for your question coming in from Chloe McLean. Thanks for your super sticker. And then this one from EndoISD says, thanks, James, and both debaters. Really enjoy this question for both. Matt, what rank are you on chess.com bliss? <laughs> yeah, that, that question, it's, it's hard to answer because it depends. In bullet, I'm right around 1,000. Um, in Blitz, I'm probably closer to 11, 1200. And in classical, I might be closer to 14, 1500, but it doesn't matter because I pretty much only play bullet. And so, yeah, we'll just say, uh, right around a thousand. You got it. This one, oh, know, I, I, I came in, uh, right at the, the time in the pre show where, um, Matt was uh, talking about, um, doing logical puzzles and stuff like that. 
my wife can do those things. She's really, really good. Uh, so I really have a lot of respect for people who can, you know, do the chess, play chess and do those kinds of things. Cause I'm, I'm a musician. So I'm in this, uh, and, and the, not only my musician, but I'm a jazz fusion drummer. So my mind goes off into the abstract and the polyrhythmic kinds of things. So when you uh, give me some things like that, like chess, it's like, just not for me. <laughs> but I have You're a lot one of those guys who smells notes. <laughs> it, I, ha I have a weird relationship with time. It really is strange. You got it. They have a question for you as well, Dr. Rosie. Say, I want to know why you think the essence of human beings must come from a God. You got the easy one. <laughs> uh, again, um, there must be an actus ascendi. There must be an act of, of being or an act of existence that is composed with what a thing is, its form, its essence, its nature in order to bring it into existence. Same thing happens with human beings. George Lucas uh, came up with that concept uh, and we can speak of essence and form uh, as a concept uh, before any kind of an instantiation. So um, that's the, the necessity of bringing that together is where I uh, put the evidence, the logical evidence for God. You got it. And thank you very much for this question. It's coming in from James Belluart. says to Matt, who or what created the laws of nature? Well, I don't see any reason to think it's a who, but I also don't necessarily know that these are things that are created. They are, as far as I can tell, descriptive and that they are for, for identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. As far as we can tell, they are true. Even if they're, even if nothing exists, they are true in the absence of anything. And so all they are, are descriptions of truths. And it's, it's, it seems to me to be a mistake to say, why is something true as if it, somebody had to make it true rather than, it would also it'd be the same as saying kind of like what created God. If God is viewed as this thing that did not have a creator that always existed, and in fact, as, as Dr. Rosen pointed out, is a necessary being, then I don't see why there's any problem at all thinking that these laws are necessary. The problem is we have to assume they're true to try to prove them false, and so you can never get out of that loop. So we have to presuppose the foundations of logic. And that's a problem, but as far as I can tell, there's no solution to it. And this is the problem that the presuppositionalists go with because they want to assert that they have found a solution to it. Um, so asking who or what created the laws of logic is, is like saying, why is Bachelor? You got it. And this one, thank you very much for your question. Coming in from DistroPhysicist again, says the rock and the stump that they were referring to wanting to use as a kind of table for lunch tomorrow said the rock and the stump already have the shape i could use as a chair and a table is a further action needed to turn them into furniture dr rhodes great <laughs> oh i think they were asking i think they were asking is a further action needed to turn them into furniture in addition to does their essence already include a piece of furniture a rock and a and a tree. 
Well, you can certainly uh, use it as that if you want. I'm not saying that if you sit on something, it becomes a chair. That's but, not that's not the argument there. Oh, but I, if I say if I say take a seat and motion over to a rock, you know, evidently the rock has does it have the essence of a seat or are you inferring that the rock can be a seat because you've seen other rocks used in that way and that it's not a function of the rock so much as it's a function of us saying, hey, we're going to sit down? I would say that there's a certain aspect that it could accidentally be used as a seat, but that's not going to change what it is. But again, we're, we have to distinguish matter and form. When I put matter together or use a rock or a piece of wood or whatever and i put it to together to form a chair that is what that form now that is what it becomes because i have formed that matter as a chair you got but, it and we, just because we you, you it. intended to be a chair what if i use it for firewood do well, have i changed its essence that. no but you have misused it you have misdirected what its intended purpose is. Because, because you're the one that determines what its, what's its intended purpose is. I, I no, I think it's common sense if you take a chair from your kitchen. Well, what is a chair? What does a chair even look like? I mean, you can make a chair look like anything. You're assuming that there's sure. a chair. I've seen hundreds and thousands of chairs. They all look different. You can make an abstract art thing and have somebody go, what is that? And they say, oh, that's a chair. Oh, well, now it makes sense it's a chair, but it didn't, it wasn't intuitively obvious a chair. It didn't have anything about it that was chair essence. Again, that's not my, my argument. Okay. This one coming in from Hank says, Hank says, Dr. Rhodes, how do we get from God's goodness to him feigning death for 36 hours to forgive us for sins that he made us inherit? Uh, you roboted on me there, but uh, from what I heard, uh, that is a involved theological question that, like I said, uh, I don't want to go off into too much minutia. And that's uh, like, <laughs> well, all right. We, we've got, we don't have too many more questions. So, like, <laughs> feel free to kind of go deep on it because we, like I said, in the Q and A list that I have here, I don't here know that I could. Like I said, my my, my brain is kind of because I've uh, exhausted today. Let's see. This one coming in from James Labrado says, "Hey guys, just throwing out a reading suggestion for really strong logical argumentation for a creator: Andrew Locke's God and the Ultimate, or sorry, Andrew Locke, Andrew Lokes." God and Ultimate Origins, a novel cosmological argument. Matt, in particular, they said they recommend it to. What do you think, Matt? Are you, you plan on reading it? I, I'll be honest, probably not, but not because I'm not interested, but because there's 10 books sitting down there waiting for me to get to that I don't know if I'm going to get to this year. Um, I, I'd rather sit down and have somebody... Explain to me why it's a, a particular book that I should spend time on. Because five minutes spent digging in on why this book as opposed to some other book. Uh, plus, evidently, I have to read the Bible again, despite having read it countless times. 
You got it. I have the same issue, namely just too many books to read before I can get to any recommendations. But with that, folks, we are going to come back with a post-credit scene in just a moment as, folks, we are absolutely thrilled. We are beyond thrilled. If you have not seen already at the bottom right of your screen, folks, we are super excited. Apostate Prophet will be joining us for a debate islam on trial next month you don't want to miss it folks it's going to be a blast and so do hit that subscribe button if you haven't already this is going to be a great one and you don't want to miss it with that matt and dr kenny it's been a true pleasure to host you guys thanks so much for being with us tonight thanks for having me absolutely yeah, so it's been a pleasure 100 percent. and i will be back in just a moment folks with upcoming debates just like the one i had just mentioned so stick around for that and thanks everybody when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.